You are listening to Talking Up, an interview show dedicated to authors, journalists, and writers working on issues of social justice, equity, and the systems that make up the nonprofit sector. Guests are talking about their writing and their research and what drives their work. Listeners will have the opportunity to widen their lens and figure out where we might go from here. Welcome to Talking Up with host Gail Pico, Editor-in-Chief of The Charity Report. The prevalence of anti-black racism and its many faces, from racial profiling to police brutality, is indisputable. What we know less about is how our schools reinforce rather than erode racism. Teaching a one-dimensional, tokenistic curricula portraying black people and working to erase the lived experiences of black youth, in effect, erasing black youth themselves. Habiba Cooper Diallo wrote about it in the journal she kept while attending high school in Halifax, documenting it all in real time. The systemic racism, the microaggressions, stereotypes, and outright racism she experienced in Canada's education system. A finalist in the 2020 Bristol Short Story Prize, the 2019 Writers' Union of Canada Short Prose Competition, and the 2018 London Book Fair Pitch Competition, Habiba Cooper Diallo joins us now. Uh, So welcome to Talking Up, Habiba. Thank you, Gail. I'm happy to be on the program. And congratulations on Black in School. Uh, I I loved the book. And I lived in Halifax for a little while, so it resonated for me. I mean, it's based on the journals that you kept when you were in high school in Halifax. Uh, So, um, and I'm really curious about how it got from your night table. And now (laughs) a few years later, it's going to be, it's published in Canada and the UK. So how did that happen? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. Um, So sometime after completing high school, when I had uh, all of the entries completed, I had reached out to different publishing houses. Uh, I pitched to them, you know, trying to figure out if any were interested. And and there wasn't much interest. I got feedback, which was positive, but there wasn't really much interest. Uh, So then I I sort of forgot about it and just put it aside, continued with my other activities. Um, And then sometime later, I think in about 2018, about then, University of Regina Press showed interest. Who did you have in your mind when you were writing the book, you know, in your in your mind's eye? When you're doing journaling or diary writing, and for people who do this themselves, they would know, you don't really have a target audience in mind. You know, you just, mm-hmm. you just sort of write as a form of expression, as a form of release. And then sometime later, when all the writing's done, you can look back at it uh, with more of an external gaze and say, hmm, if this writing were most suited to anyone, it would be this particular audience. Um, But definitely when I was in the process of writing a couple of years ago, it was was more just a a form of um, an outlet for me to to talk about all those experiences, to talk about the structural issues, the structural racism, and how everything sort of plays out on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. And some of the opinions of other students, which at times are very uh, harsh, which are very damaging, which are very incorrect. Um, So all of that is reflected in these journals. And it was just my way of 
of commenting on them, on talking back as well. So, um, Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it there is a very interesting quality about your about your journal entries in that you're describing a situation that happened to you. And then it's that uh, that you're giving yourself the opportunity, like you acted in the moment and we all react to things in the moment. But then it's like, well, here's what I would have said <laughs> if I had had, <laughs> if, if I had, you know, if I had had all my information at my fingertips and, and I could be very thoughtful about my answers. This is what I really would have said. Um, and I can see that that, that would be a, a release for you, but you're also doing research as you're, as you're writing your journals. I mean, it's, you're under, you're validating your, your own yes. feelings in the process of journaling. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it's so, it's quite interesting that you picked up on that. Um, I'd say that's a very astute observation and you're absolutely right. I did do research and I'm sort of, again, validating my, my views, validating my feelings as I write it. Um, and when you speak of reacting in the moment as, as happens to all of us sometimes. And then when you look back, you say, had I had more information on my fingertips, I would have done this, that, that. Um, and sometimes that's not a possibility just because of, of, of the moment and, and, and yeah, the nature of the moment. Um, so I guess at the same time, I threw that journal and I guess when looking back on it, I had to also learn how to be easy on myself. And that's something I'm still learning. Right. Mm -hmm. There's a whole raft of things you talk about in your journal. It's really a comprehensive itemization of the kinds of racism uh, microaggressions, ignorance, I would say, um, on what it's like being a black kid in, in high school. Um, and, uh, and I'd like, if you could just list those for me, and, and then I want to talk about a, a couple of them individually, but, but do you feel like you could say, okay, here's some of the issues that black kids deal with in high school? Yes. Um, so it is a comprehensive itemization of some of those microaggressions. And uh, some of the ones that were particularly upsetting for me were the, um, the stereotypes and the misconceptions about Africa. Yeah. And I spoke extensively about those, you know, that Africa, it's, it's a continent of, say, perpetual suffering, of hunger, of war, you know, those ideas are very damaging. Mm -hmm. And I feel that um, in mainstream education and in so many of the schools, the high schools that that students go to, those are the the images, you know, and whether it comes from media, whether it comes from um, teachers or administrators who unfortunately just don't want to look into it a bit deeper, you know, make use of Google and and try to verify certain things. Um, whether it's coming from all those places, I don't know. But the reality is it's there. And it's damaging um, for, for the students who identify as African, but also for, for all students, whether white or, or other ethnic groups. Um, it's damaging for them as well because it, it's limiting. It means that 
they're not giving themselves the opportunity to to broaden their their ideas mm-hmm. to learn more about another place or another group of people so it's limiting um for them in that sense uh so that's just one example and and to to and one of the first things i think in one of your the earliest um experiences you had was seeing a poster um about a fundraising poster i would the imagine Ethiopian, the ethiopian the, right ethiopian right. Uh, famine in the 19 1980s right the famine they had then yeah and how uh, have that affected you as a black student my question is what would you say like if you were at these meetings that i sometimes had to attend about representation of um um black people and how it, it impacts uh you, you know a kid in a in a, a black kid in a school in in Halifax when those images are promoted I would, first of all really ask the white people at the table just to listen mm-hmm. because this is a problem we often run into uh i find some of people are so stuck in their opinions of of africa or what the problems are in africa and, and sometimes when you present a different opinion based on real life lived experience or travel or or having or you know being from that that continent as in your origins or family members so forth even when you present another opinion they're not willing to take it from you right. just because their ideas from movies um or from a story they heard are so strong are so embedded so anchored in their minds so i would say uh start from a place of 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 listening um and listening to those who again have real experience whether it's because they're from that place or you know just real experience from the place um so i would say to them start by listening secondly start by verifying certain things of course there there are issues um say of poverty or health related issues in africa just as there are everywhere in the world but the important thing here is context and i write about that in in my journals as well you must always contextualize everything so it doesn't become the one story the one narrative as chimamanda adichie the writer as she speaks of you know the single story so um i would also say make sure that there's always a context because when we lose context it it's um it, it's very risky it's very damaging to uh of white children i would say at a very young age are are taught you know you know finish your food because there's a starving child in africa exactly uh, yes they start very preschool and at a very young age and and what those messages do sometimes to to kids growing up here is that it can make them detached or desensitized from issues happening around them and i think the covid covid 2019 now covid 2020 2021 pandemic <laughs> has um really brought to our attention in the most dramatic of ways uh just how much issues there are in all over the world and right here in Halifax right here in Nova Scotia and Canada we've seen housing crises we've seen food shortages um all over the world in countries in let's say in high resource nations of the world in Europe in Europe in America and Canada 
we've seen floodings. We've seen in Germany, we've seen all kinds of things happening. And in light of all this, I've even heard people saying or, or um, say media commentators on the news, they've said, these are things you'd think would happen only in the third world, you know, right. quote unquote, third world. And they're happening right at our doorstep. Um here in Halifax, we've had people living in tents. I, I see people living in tents just down by the, uh, around Spring Garden. Some of right. those gardens there on Spring Garden, you know. So these are things happening right at home. And, and what does that mean? What does that say about poverty in our own communities, about suffering, about housing, housing crises and, and food shortages in our own communities? It says we have them right here. And why isn't our government doing enough about it? Um, so... I think it's great to to have a to grow up with a global perspective mm-hmm. and to be a, a globalized or global citizen as much as possible. Um, but in being a global citizen, we must never it, it must be truly global. You know, we can't pick right. and choose. Right. It only applies to this place, but not yeah. to this place. Yeah. It, it must be truly global. That's right. That's uh, and and in an education system, that is a perfect place to begin the teaching of that concept of uh, of being a global citizen and looking at the world in in its context. Mm. The other part that hit me uh, from your book, and uh, because you know, there's also so much external media around the the anti black nature of the criminal justice system in the U.S., certainly by police shootings, but also in Canada. And we can extend that certainly to Indigenous people, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a student, as a young person who's already kind of been uh, pigeonholed by the kinds of messages that white children are learning from their preschool days and then bumping up against the nature of the criminal justice system. And then in, at one point you're looking out at your window at the, at the school and seeing a young um, uh, a black boy, boy mm-hmm. being uh, harassed by the police. And so you know, it's writ large. It's it's there on the TV, but it's also you're looking out your your classroom window and seeing this. Were you able to feel any safety in high school? That's a very good question. Very very good question. Um, and safety that it's it's such an interesting word. So in terms of say psychological or emotional safety, no. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very clear. That's, and that's the... the point. I think that I'm I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm getting out here. That's yeah. very clear. The psychological or the emotional safety, no. And I, I say why, and I, I explain that very well in the in the book. Um, but now, in terms of having an encounter with the police, safety in that sense, no. Not really, no, not at all. And and I think this is where I have to say, where, where I have to where we have to look at this through a gendered lens. Mm-hmm. And um, honestly, as a black female, I never had that concern. But I should also say, as a black female, who I must say, my I guess my my life in high school was very much school, my extracurricular activities. Um, I had my nonprofit organization then, so I did stuff for my nonprofit every now and then at a friend's house or at the mall or at Tim Hortons with a friend. I never, I never stayed out late. I never, no one would ever identify me as 
a quote unquote troublemaker for being loud or for being, you know, whatever. So in that sense, I never, I never had any concerns about having run-ins with the police. Um, And so I speak about gender because gender is very important here. And what I hear from a lot of black guys is that they, they have this fear just when walking down the street, if a cop car passes them, their hearts will begin beating faster or if they're driving at night mm-hmm. um that fear of just being randomly pulled over which happens to many of them and um you know i'm speaking for myself as a black woman there are other black women who may perhaps disagree with me or they've had other experiences but i do think uh the black men when it comes to having encounters with police our police brutality that their experiences entirely different Mm -hmm. uh simply due to their their gender so so i have to say that um and then two for those black students whether male or female who unfortunately maybe because they're trying to express themselves in a certain way uh, that's deemed inappropriate or um i don't know maybe if they're walking down the hallways in a way that seems boisterous or if they're speaking too loudly even if their white peers are doing the same thing right they would be the ones to be, um, say, pulled into a teacher's office or pulled into a principal's office. They would be the ones to to be deemed the the troublemaker or the mm-hmm. aggressor or what have you. Um, and you you can see how something like that can easily escalate into a police encounter. In the conclusion of your book, you write that. High school is not merely a slew of ideologies etched into textbooks. It's a deeply soulful experience, one that requires the Black student to continually self-reflect on who she is and where her identity rests in an environment that invalidates her practices and her cultural values, in an institution where her life experiences are perpetually portrayed as primitive, backward, hypersexual, and inferior, where her mere existence is a challenge to the physical spaces, like hallways and classrooms that she may occupy throughout the day, and where her humanity is perpetually under critical examination, but through a superficial and selective lens. It's a great summation, I think, of what the impact of all of the incidents that happen day after day, big and small, in the world and in the hallways of the school. What, what would you recommend for a Black student in high school who's dealing with exactly the same situation you were. I don't think anything has changed in the time in the few years ago that you were in high school as it is now. It's very similar in Halifax, right across the country, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. How can, side by side with that, could a student do things to help her self-actualize to counter what's happening to her in the in the um, traditional education framework Mm -hmm. it's an excellent question I think that student would need to have something outside of school Mm -hmm. that gives her meaning that gives her value something outside of school through which she can derive so much pleasure and I have to say my my passion for women's health my work with my nonprofit organization it did that for me 
you know, it gave me yeah. a sense of purpose, meaning outside of school. I had something else that was for me, you know, and, and I thrived in that. So just based on my experience, that's what I would say to any student who's going through all of that. Try to find something outside of school that's just for you, uh, something from which you derive great pleasure. I know for, for some people, some students, it could be dancing, you know, they might be a prolific dancer right. outside of school, and that's just what they do for themselves. Yeah. For others, it could be athletics, could be soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, um, I mean, having written this book, and now I imagine you're talking about this book, you know, you're talking to me about it, and you're talking to other groups of people about it. And I have to ask, like, how are you doing? How is it, uh, you know, explaining the contents of the book, um, the nature of what you went through in high school? Uh, are you are you dealing with some of the racism that you experienced in high school as you're going out to a broader audience to talk about this book? Like, how, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. It's a great question. And thank you for that question. I appreciate it. Um, So far, I would say, no, I'm not experiencing, say, that racism I speak of in the book. So far, I mean, it's it's still the beginning of of talking about it, of sharing it with audiences. And uh, up until now, um, some of the journalists I've been speaking with, like like yourself, they're very um, aware, very much educated on these topics. um, So they wouldn't or haven't, I should say, have not in any way reproduced (laughs) <laughs> some of that right racism. that's good yeah <laughs> um so so in that sense very good um and uh i guess on a different level i'm just trying to keep myself um hmm, trying to keep myself mentally strong as i do this work as i share it with audiences because it's not easy and and reading back looking back at some of those journals, I just feel like, oh, you know, in many ways, it was a sad time for me. And it was hard dealing with a lot of what I was dealing with. Um, And again, as you said earlier, having to validate some of those things as I went through. Um, And so I I really, now sharing it a couple of years later, I don't want to have to be in the space to, to have to validate them again. So I'm very mindful of that and just making sure that, you know, I myself attempt this with um with authenticity um with strength and that I don't shy away from anything simply because you know I may feel that oh others may receive it this way or may receive Mm -hmm. it that way you know I I don't want that to happen so I just I'm reminding myself just be authentic um and strong about it all Mm -hmm. throughout as I share it with audiences and we'll leave it there for today. Good luck on going out on the road, talking about this book. I'm sure it's going to have a lot of interest across the country. Uh, the name of the book is Black in School by Habiba Cooper Diallo. Thanks for Thank joining us Thank you so much, Gail. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure joining you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Talking Up. The program was produced by Terry Carter with original music from the Fortan Electrosonic Laboratory. Be sure to join us again next week for another inspiring edition 
And if you're interested in keeping up to date until then, visit us at thecharityreport.com. Thank you.